0: Amen. Good morning. morning. It's so good to see each of you here this morning. Delighted that you're here. And uh, if you're looking for a seat, we still have a few extra down here on the front row. I don't know why it is that it seems to be the last to go in the Baptist Church. Uh, I would say we take some $20 bills to the bottom of the front row here. First come serve. but no, I'm just kidding. It's so good to see you. And hope and pray you did have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with friends and family. And I know that there are several from our church family that are perhaps still traveling and away from us. And so it is good to be able to do one combined service on a holiday weekend like this. And again, if you're a guest, I'm delighted that you're here. Over the past few Sundays, I've been preaching along the lines of gratitude, uh, thanksgiving, thankfulness, and the importance of really cultivating a grateful heart and spirit. And by the way, I'm grateful for my new preaching Bible that the church got me last week for my 10th anniversary. I'm getting to preach out of this this morning. I'm still having to figure out where certain books are because it looks so different from the one that I have been using the last five years. And this thing's big too, so if I get to preaching, y'all will feel the, <laughs> you'll feel the, the breeze from this on the front row. Uh, but I and my wife and, and I are so thankful for the 10 years and thank you uh, for... Your kindness last week and honoring us for our 10th anniversary here means so much. And this is home, and we love each of you very, very much. Amen. Amen. So, I do want you to take your Bible and be finding your place in Philippians chapter 4. And it's in the spirit of thanksgiving that I want to spend at least one more Sunday reflecting on the importance of gratitude especially as it relates to the issue of contentment in life. Now, you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you how contentment, gratitude, joy, uh, these are all character traits which are found together. In other words, a grateful person will be a content person, and a content person will be a joyful person. And in the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, you sort of see how all of these character traits kind of come together in a paragraph that we'll read in just a few moments. But contentment linked with gratitude, this is something that's very, very rare in life. In fact, I was reading just this week, uh, back in 1990, there was a Brazilian farmer who needed some water for his fields and so he made the trek down to a nearby stream and as he was stooping down uh, there to the water's edge uh, something caught his eye and he quickly scooped it up and at just a casual glance it looked like it was just a regular stone but upon closer examination it was certainly much more than that. And so that Brazilian man discovered what is now known as the largest red diamond ever discovered in history. A whopping 13.9 carats in its rough form, if you can imagine that. Now, you know that all diamonds are rare, but red diamonds really are the rarest of the rare. And so this particular diamond would go on to be cut into a triangular shape, Weighing in at nearly six carats in its polished, finished form, now referred to as the Musaif Red Diamond, named after a collector who purchased it some 20 years ago. Now, the sale price was sort of kept a secret, but modern estimates place its value as high as $20 million. Now, that's a rare discovery, but perhaps even more rare than something like that particular red diamond is the rarity of a person who comes to possess true contentment in life and the reason we find it to be so rare is because we live in a society that's really permeated with just this overall spirit of discontentment in fact there may be no better a word to describe the overall mentality of our society than that word more. Everyone's out for more, uh, be it more money or more stuff, uh, more trips here and there. Uh, men and women, they, they seem to live for their next pay raise or their next house. Uh, there's this attitude of covetousness often that grips the heart where we just have to have the latest gadget or device and that kind of thing. And, and, and not only does discontentment sort of manifest itself in covetousness, but it also shows up through complaining. You see, discontentment raise its ugly head every day in the way that people respond to circumstances. They show it while driving. If you were on the roads... This past weekend, you saw it. You probably experienced it yourself. You just get irritable because traffic's moving too slow or some people are going too fast. or We complain about the weather. I mean, it's just too hot, too cold. Can't make up its mind what it wants to do. Too rainy, too dry. Discontentment shows up on the job. We get restless and discontent with the amount of money that we make or don't make whether or not we receive credit for all of the hard work that we put in. We can't stand the people that we work with. And so people feel discontent. And again, it shows up in a variety of ways, be it their marriage or or, uh, physical appearance. On and on it goes. But you know, the thing is, the real challenge is not so much that I live in this society which is characterized by discontentment. Because folks, if I had to be perfectly honest with you, I face discontentedness in my own heart and in my own mind almost on a daily basis. And I imagine if you would get honest with me, you would say that this is also true of you. And this fact that we, we there, there, there's always something that seems to be clamoring for our attention We become fixated upon what other people have that maybe we don't have or other honors that people enjoy that we don't get to enjoy. Covetousness manifests itself over possessions that others may have that we don't necessarily have. And so discontentment, it's when your eyes are always scanning the horizon for something else or for what's next. And a poem I read sort of sums it up and says this, it was spring... But it was summer that I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. Then it was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. Then it was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. Then it was winter, but it was spring that I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and all the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. Then I was middle-aged, but it was 20 that I wanted. The youth, the free spirit. Then I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations and then my life was over but I never got what I wanted and that pretty much sums it up doesn't it Proverbs 27 20 says that hell and destruction are never full and the eyes of a man are never satisfied so much so that we can't stop to enjoy and be grateful for the season of life that we're in or the things that we have because our eyes are always scanning the horizon for something that may be next or just around the corner. And if we're not careful, we can miss out on what real life is all about. 400 years ago, there was a Puritan uh, pastor by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs and he preached a series of sermons on contentment and, and, and some years later, there was a publisher who published those sermons under the title, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And so it's in that same spirit that I want to sort of take up this text from Philippians chapter 4, because here, the Apostle Paul explains for us this rare jewel known as Christian contentment. And he tells us the secret of where it's found. So if you've got your Bible open there, Philippians chapter 4 Verse number 4, notice that the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In fact, that word reasonableness there uh, means gentleness. It's just this overall spirit with which you and I are to approach life as Christ's disciples Let your gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And the reason, Paul says, is that the Lord is at hand. The thought of his return should lead to sort of this this sober mindset, this sweet spirit that you and I possess as his disciples. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Now listen to this. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content.'" I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So notice twice there, Paul says in this paragraph, I have learned. When it comes to contentment, he says, uh, I have learned, no matter the situation that I find myself in, no matter what I have or what I don't have, he says, I have learned the secret Of facing all of these things and so what's the secret well he tells us there in verse 13 in a verse that you're all too familiar with I can do all things through him who strengthens me and so I want to speak from this subject this morning the rare jewel of Christian contentment and I want you to notice how really contentment is linked with thanksgiving and gratitude that Paul mentions uh, in the verses prior to the ones that we've just read And so this is the greatest statement that you'll find anywhere on the value of Christian contentment. And it comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church in the city of Philippi. Now as far as background is concerned, know that he's writing these words uh, from his Roman imprisonment. And so these Christians had personally witnessed the Apostle Paul live out supernatural contentment uh, whenever he and Silas first came to the city of Philippi to preach the gospel. Now, that was probably 10 years prior uh, to his writing this letter known as Philippians. He's probably writing Philippians in in somewhere around 61 or 62 A.D., but roughly around A.D. 51-52, Paul and Silas had visited the city of Philippi Uh, on 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 Paul's second missionary journey and so you can read all about the background of of what happens there in Acts chapter 16. The Bible says that when he and Silas get to the city of Philippi they go down to the riverbank, and and there's just sort of this providential arranging of circumstances where they meet a woman from the city of Thyatira her name is Lydia she's a seller of purple And so she's a worshiper of God, and the Bible says that her heart is opened up to the message of the gospel as Paul shares Christ with Lydia. And thus, the church is born in the city of Philippi, so that Lydia opens up her house. And the church begins right there with her and the members of her own household. Well, we're also told in chapter 16 that as Paul and Silas sort of make their way around the city, Uh, there was a slave girl who sort of follows them around everywhere they go, and she's possessed by an evil spirit. And she keeps shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God who come to preach the way of salvation to you. Now, that happens for a while to the point that the Apostle Paul gets annoyed, the text says, and so he turns and, and, and says to the evil spirit, I rebuke you, come out of her. And so the girl is set free from her demonic possession. But when her owners see that no longer is she uh, profitable and they can't make money off of her anymore, uh, they sort of uh, set the city in an uproar. And uh, Paul and Silas are arrested. Uh, they're brought before the magistrates. They're thrown into the city jail. And the Bible says that their feet become fastened in the stocks, they're beaten with. Rods so that many stripes are laid upon their back. Now listen, Acts chapter 16 says that it's at midnight that Paul and Silas are complaining and criticizing about their, their unfair circumstances. Does that sound right? No, that's not what the Bible says at all. No, the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas, they're there, their feet fastened in the stocks, but they're singing hymns and they're praising God at the midnight hour, and all of those prisoners are listening. The Philippian jailer himself is listening. There's an earthquake that happens. Their bonds are broken, but they don't go anywhere, and just as soon as the Philippian jailer is about to fall upon his own sword and take his own life, Paul calls out to him and says, No, we're here which then leads the Philippian jailer to ask this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what that tells me? It tells me that there was something radically different about Paul and Silas, the fact that they could pray and they could worship and they could sing at the midnight hour even though their bodies were beaten and bloodied and battered and bruised from their abuse that Philippian jailer saw the rare jewel of Christian contentment that was manifesting itself in the life of Paul and Silas. And as such, it becomes a platform for the gospel so that Paul is able to lead the Philippian jailer to Christ and the result of that is that he and all of his household are baptized and thus the church in the city of Philippi continues to grow. Now you fast forward 10 years, Paul is in another prison, this time he's imprisoned in Rome And he's writing back to the church at Philippi And he writes this letter known as Philippians In which he's encouraging them, building them up in their faith And here he's providing some practical instruction for them While also expressing his gratitude and his thanksgiving For an offering that they send to him To minister to his needs while he's there in Rome and so being the faithful apostle that he is and, and, and the pastor's heart that he possesses, uh, the apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he wants these believers to understand something about the true contentment that comes through knowledge of Jesus, knowing who Christ is and how it's Jesus who produces a supernatural peace and contentment in the heart of the Christian that, that transcends circumstances, It's an out-of-this-world kind of contentment. And folks, it's something that every single one of us can possess. And so I want to show you from this passage Paul's words and how his own personal example illustrate this rare jewel of Christian contentment. Now notice, first of all, you can be content with the peace of God that settles you. Contentment with the peace of God that settles you. And that's really his emphasis there beginning in verse 4 going all the way through verse number 9 and notice how here you see that contentment is really linked with gratitude and thanksgiving and just as gratitude and contentment go hand in hand so also do envy and discontentment go hand in hand you can rest assured that discontentment is ruling the day in your life when you're envious in your heart and even covetous of what someone else may possess that you don't necessarily possess. Or if you get upset at the success and the fortunes of others so that you would become jealous and envious in your own heart and life, covetous in your own heart towards people who perhaps may have never done anything to you, but for whatever reason, you've just determined, I don't like them. And it may just be because you are so discontent in your own heart and life. And so realize then that it's, it's, it's this lack of contentment that oftentimes fuels a covetous heart just where you're not content with where you are in life, who you are in life, what you have in life, and so on down the line. The antidote to that kind of thinking is presented to us right here in these verses in Philippians chapter 4. And so notice that it begins with the ingredients of effective praying. Where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. He's not saying, Now that you've come to experience peace and contentment in life, you can rejoice. Notice he's telling them to rejoice first. No matter your circumstances, no no matter the trials that are going on in your life, no matter the issues that seem to be raging in life, he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. Not in what you have or what you don't have and that kind of thing. No, may Christ be the source of your boasting. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Now notice he's giving these specific ingredients for a prayer life here in verse six. Don't let worry or fear or anxiety control your heart, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the result of this, Paul says, will be a peace, a supernatural, spirit-produced peace in your life that really transcends your circumstances. It's the kind of peace that uh, surpasses all understanding. That is, there's no human rationale or basis for it. Uh, The world uh, wants it, but the world doesn't understand it. But you and I can understand where this sense of peace comes from, even though literally all hell may be breaking loose in your life. It's a peace that comes through knowledge of Christ, a peace that comes through knowing who you are in Christ, where you've come to find your strength and your contentment and your identity in Christ. And so don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Does that mean that all of your troubles are going to vanish? And the things that you fret about will automatically be solved so that all of your troubles will disappear? Well, not necessarily. Sometimes the angel of the Lord comes to remove you from the prison, but at other times, the prison becomes a schoolroom and something that's useful in your life and a part of the plan of God and the will of God for your life. And so it's not so much that my circumstances change as much as it is that I am changed when I pray even in the midst of my circumstances. And so Paul's point here is that through prayer and thanksgiving, you and I are given divine perspective so that the key to effective praying, it's not getting what we want, but wanting what we get because that's contentment. If we ask God something, then you and I need to be willing to receive whatever it is that he gives. And no matter what it is that he chooses to give, or doesn't give and that's something that uh, the heart of a person who is content in Jesus Christ truly understands Norman Harrison said it this way in prayer anxiety is resolved by trust in God that which causes the anxiety is brought to the one who is totally competent and in whose hands the matter may be left he says, but in thanksgiving, anxiety is resolved by the deliberate acceptance of the worrying circumstance as something which an all wise, all loving, all sovereign God has appointed. So that when we pray, prayer takes up the anxiety provoking question, How? How shall I cope? And it answers by pointing away from those circumstances to Him, to His resources, to His promises. And then he says, Thanksgiving addresses itself to the worrying question of why? Why has this happened to me? And it answers by pointing to the great doer of all who never acts without purpose and whose purposes never fail. Now that's a mouthful of a statement, but now listen to this. He's saying prayer deals with that question. How? By pointing me away from my circumstances and pointing me to the Lord Jesus and yet thanksgiving deals with that question of why. So that even when I don't understand why a particular thing has happened, it still points me away to the one who's in control, who sees things from a much higher vantage point than my earthbound perspective. Now folks, if we grasp that, if we understand that, then listen, that will free us from a bitter, critical, complaining, discontent spirit where we're constantly Criticizing our circumstances Or criticizing this or criticizing that Complaining about this, complaining about that Because honestly Whenever we complain What we really manifest is a lack of contentment In the Lord Jesus Now that's strong But that's the truth So here you have the ingredients uh, Really for for real prayer Effective prayer And to notice that Paul also emphasizes The importance of excellent thinking here If I'm to experience the peace of God that settles me down in life, where I don't go through life just so worked up, notice how Paul emphasizes excellent thinking so that when your anxious thoughts, whenever they're displaced by prayer and thanksgiving, they've got to be replaced by something else. It's not enough that that I not worry about anything and pray about everything, but no, I've got to fill my mind with that which is true and honorable and just and pure, lovely and commendable. So he mentions six uh, character uh, character traits of those things which should fill our minds. He says if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now you take all six of those character traits that he mentions there uh, in verse number eight and, and, and you apply them to the Lord Jesus Christ you know, the Bible says in Colossians 3 that we're to set our mind on things above, not on things beneath. But we're to set our minds on heavenly things, heavenly realities, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So think about this. In your mind and your heart as a believer, when your mind and your heart is caught up with the Lord Jesus Christ, could you not say that Jesus himself, when you think about him, he's true, he's honorable, he's honorable, just and pure, lovely and commendable. And so you could summarize these characteristics that Paul's mentioning there in verse 8. And he's saying, listen, this is the mind of Christ in you as the believer. Now, one thing I know for sure is that there is nothing that will rob you of contentment and joy in life like negative, impure, untruth thinking. And if you remember back from several weeks ago in our our series Through the Armor of God, I mentioned how one of the ways that Satan so launches his assault against us, he targets our mind. And he whispers lies and accusations in our ear And, and those fiery missiles that come from him come in the form of negative thoughts whereby he has this strategy of trying to to rob you of the joy of the Lord, which the Bible says is your strength. And so you've got to be careful what you think about. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In other words, our lives are set upon the trajectory that we think and dwell upon. And so that whatever you think about and you stew over and you mull over and you meditate upon that will always show up in your life in some tangible way. For example, if you're always concerned about money and finances and that you never have enough, then oftentimes here's the trajectory that your life will take because of that way of thinking. You'll end up being a greedy, covetous person rather than being a person who lives with an open hand and a generous heart. Because oftentimes what I dwell upon in my heart, in my mind, this is going to show up practically in my life. That's why Jesus said that adultery and murder, long before it's ever an act of the hand, Jesus says it shows up in the heart first. And so what we think about then, folks, is a big, big deal. And so what's the antidote to that? Well, Paul tells us here in this passage of Scripture, he's saying whatever is true and whatever is honorable, and whatever is just and pure and lovely and commendable. He's saying, you need to think about these things. Dwell upon these things. In fact, that word think that he uses there is such an important word, which means to chew on, to process over and over again. That's why Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us to not be conformed to the way of thinking that's true of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how is my mind renewed but when I fill it with the truth of God's word? And I live a saturated life. It's saturated with the truth of Scripture. And so all of this is important then for the peace of God that settles you. And contentment is linked with this peace that Paul has described. Now notice he mentions there the God of peace in verse number 9. So that he's began with the peace of God uh, there in in the first part of the passage, and now in verse 9 he's brought us back to the God of peace. I can experience the peace of God when I truly know the God of peace. Isaiah 26, verse number 3 says that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture. When we pray with thanksgiving and gratitude and we fill our mind with those praiseworthy things there that he mentions, the result will be the peace of God that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he mentions the illustration of exemplified living here. Now, notice how he's working from praying to thinking, and now he's dealing with practice, living. Or you might could say he's dealt with prayer, perception, and now practice. It's interesting to me that practice follows prayer and perception. He doesn't mention practice first. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about perception, your thought life. And now he's saying, look you've seen these things modeled in my own life. When I was there living and working and serving among you, you've seen this contentment and this peace demonstrated in my own life. So that he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so rather than fear and discontentment and ingratitude, maintaining this iron grip on my heart, Paul is saying the God of peace himself will produce the peace of God in me and that's what will rule my thinking. And that's characteristic of every man and every woman who's content in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so the first thing we understand then about this rare jewel of Christian contentment is that it's contentment with the peace of God that settles us down. Now notice secondly, Paul deals with contentment in the place where God has stationed you peace that settles you but now what about the place where God has stationed you and so here he's he's beginning to write some personal remarks there in verse number 10 how he's rejoiced in the Lord himself in other words he's saying I'm practicing what I've preached to you I've told you to rejoice in the Lord well now let me tell you I'm rejoicing in the Lord when I think about how you as a church came together and and you you sent an offering my way to minister to me in my my time of need. You were concerned for me. And so he says, your concern for me sort of showed up in this tangible expression of your generosity in, in the form of a monetary gift that they sent to Paul in his Roman imprisonment. And so he wants them to know he's grateful for the gift, but again, he also uses this as a teaching opportunity because he says that his joy at the gift, it's not so much because he's been in need, even though we know that he had been. No, he says that he's learned to be content no matter the circumstances. He's saying, listen, I've been here in this Roman prison, and yeah, there have been physical needs, and and there's been a scarcity of resources, but you need to know something. My station in life doesn't determine my joy in life one iota. He's saying the place... Where I am in life That doesn't determine the joy of my heart Not one brief iota No, all of that comes from somewhere else And someone else Doesn't come from my station in life It's not my circumstances Having to be just such In order for me to be a content person No, he says I have learned In whatever situation I am To be content Whether that's with plenty Or whether that's with Nothing at all He's saying, your money that you've sent to me, this is not going to improve the state of my soul in Christ one little inch. And yet even despite all of that, if you get down to verse 14 and you read the the concluding remarks of Paul's letter here, you'll discover that he's uh, expressing his gratitude to these believers. They had sent him this gift and he's very grateful for it. But he wants them to know something, that his contentment and his joy in life, it didn't come from his station in life. It came through knowledge of Christ. And folks, listen. Here's what I want you to really see this morning, okay? Pay attention to this. If you've not heard anything else, listen to this. Notice that Paul says twice here in this passage, contentment is something that I have learned. He says it there in verse number 11. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says it in verse number 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And the fact that this is something that Paul says he has learned means that it wasn't something that came natural to him. It wasn't something that came natural to his flesh. I mean, he wasn't all of a sudden zapped with contentment from heaven. Now think about this when he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're on the road to Damascus. Is his life changed? Absolutely. Uh, Is he given the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Is he given every resource in Jesus Christ at that particular moment when he comes to faith in Christ? Absolutely. And yet, he also discovers that God is going to enroll him in the school of life, whereby God's going to teach him some things. And one of the profound lessons that the Apostle Paul has to learn, especially as it relates to affliction, is that he's learning how to be content. And he's learning that his joy and that his satisfaction and that his contentment does not come from his circumstances, but it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, if that's something that Paul had to learn, that's something that I have to learn. And it's something that you have to learn. Jeremiah Burroughs said that Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now that's a big long Puritan definition. (laughs) But in other words, he's saying that contentment is the result of submitting to God's will and delighting in God's wisdom. You want to be content in life? Then you'll experience contentment inasmuch as you're submitted to the will of God and delighting in the wisdom of God. So that the word Paul uses for content there in verse number 11, this is interesting, it's a Greek word that means self-sufficient. Now that might strike you as being odd. Thayer's Greek lexicon says that it was used to describe the mindset of being sufficient for oneself, independent, independent, Of external circumstances Uh, the stoics in Paul's day sort of elevated uh, this this idea of self-sufficiency to a personal virtue where a man was sufficient to all things in himself and yet that's not exactly what Paul has in mind when he's referring to Christian contentment sufficient yes but sufficient in himself no independent from circumstance yes But independent from God, no. He's saying my contentment, my sufficiency comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and so it is a God-blessed dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying my sufficiency, my contentment comes through Christ. And it's the same word that he uses in in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 uh, where the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. It's the same word translated as content. Here in Philippians chapter 4 So it's the grace of God then As it's being experienced in Paul's life Where he's come to learn To be sufficient and dependent upon and, and, And draw upon the strength that is his In the Lord Jesus Christ Now folks listen to me This restless discontent spirit of the age Should not surprise us As it's coming from an unbelieving world around us But where it should surprise us is is when the living of so many professing believers is no different from the living of those who are unbelievers around us. You and I ought to live very different lives. Simply because we know that there are resources in heaven upon which we draw in terms of our sufficiency in life. And that strength doesn't come from my circumstances. And that strength doesn't come from my possessions. And that strength doesn't come from what people say about me or don't say about me. That strength doesn't come from anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's why Paul says what he says in verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. And so when you understand Philippians 4.13 in that context, it means a whole lot more than just stepping up to the bat and swinging at a ball and saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It means a whole lot more than just sort of gritting your teeth and bearing difficult circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Realize that Paul is making that statement in this much larger context where he's dealing with this issue of Christian contentment and satisfaction in life where he links gratitude and thanksgiving with the contentment that should be characteristic of our lives and folks it's something that we've got to grow in it's something that we've got to learn I'm in that school myself and so if you feel like you're just in kindergarten when it comes to this issue of Christian contentment listen we're all in that class together But praise be to God, God gives us the answer right here. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. Where is it found? It's found in the Lord Jesus. So that the last thing that we understand then about this Christian contentment is that it comes through the power of God that strengthens you. The peace of God that settles you, contentment in the place where God has stationed you, But it's only possible through the power of God that strengthens you. And the apostle says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's the secret. Found in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in operation in your life. So think about this. Contentment then, it's not found in a place, but it's found in a person. Why is that important? Because some folks think they can only be content if they get a new job. Not satisfied where they are. If I can just get that job or just get that promotion, then I'll be content. Contentment's not in a place, it's in a person. Or someone says, you know, I just feel so unfulfilled and unseen in my marriage and that kind of thing. And there's someone else over there that may catch my fancy a little bit. And I think I could just be content if I had that person. To which you need to understand that contentment only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ producing that in your heart and in your life. And don't look to your circumstances and don't look to other people in your life to make you the content person that you want to be. And don't put that crushing weight of a burden upon someone else's shoulders. Be it your spouse, be it your children, or be it your parents, or be it some friend group. I think some people, they just get so miserable and discontent in their own heart, and they, they just they keep people at arm's length. They treat people wrongly because they're putting some type of an unrealistic burden upon the shoulders of someone else to make you a content and satisfied person. When Listen, they can't hang the moon. They can't create a star, and they can't make you content. There's only one person who can do that and it's the Lord Jesus Christ who can satisfy you and fill the void of your soul. And so Paul says here, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Now, I've gotta stop here. There was a man who went to visit his friend somewhere near the Brooks Mountain Range in northern Alaska. And it's a beautiful area I mean, just teeming with wildlife, but it's very inhospitable, sparsely populated. Well, I guess it was one summer after a fishing trip, this man and his friend, they were cleaning some salmon together there along along the river, when the visitor looked over at his friend whose white T-shirt had become just this blanket of gray. And he said, Jim... Your back is covered with mosquitoes. Believe it or not, they're even there in Alaska. So if you think you can be content getting out of the South summertime, I hate to burst your bubble. Them little things are everywhere. I know, he said, as he kept working on the fish. Well, doesn't that bother you? To which Jim said, no. His friend said, that's crazy. How can that not bother you? To which he said, well, when I first came out here, I decided that I had to learn how to ignore the mosquitoes. And so I did. Folks, it's an amazing thing of what we can learn when we're working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and not kicking against the Holy Spirit's work in our own lives. Corey Ten Boom talked about her sister thanking God for the fleas which were in the barracks there at the Ravensbrook concentration camp and never really understanding what her sister meant when she was thanking God for those awful fleas only to discover later on that it was those fleas that kept those Nazi prison guards away as the women went on without being assaulted, able to pray together, able to study the Bible together so that she came to say, I could thank God for the fleas. I've learned to deal with the mosquitoes Why? Because Paul says I can do all things through Christ Who strengthens me Would you stand with me as we pray this morning My friend do you possess this rare jewel Known as Christian contentment And it is rare Why is it that diamonds are so valuable? Well it's because they're so very rare Why is it that Christian faith is so very precious and valuable, contentment so valuable? Because it's so very, very rare. But how can I not be content in the Lord Jesus Christ when I think about all that he's done to save me from my sin, to change me, to give me his spirit, to take me all the way to heaven, and to give me contentment and satisfaction even in a life that's a world that's filled with just so much restlessness. The scripture talks about how the wicked are restless like the tossing waves of the sea every day. You think about the ocean and how it's just so restless and it's just constantly churning up sand. But there's something about peace and contentment and gratitude that all of this sort of just goes hand in hand when you know Christ is your savior. And this is something that, as those who do know Christ, it's something that we're learning and we're growing in. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, listen, what's preventing you from coming to faith in him? What's keeping you from repenting of your sin and believing this precious truth of the gospel that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and raised again to life on the third day according to the scriptures? Because if it's joy and satisfaction and contentment in life that you're looking for, you're not going to find it in a place. You're going to find it in a person. And his name is Jesus. Would you come to him today? I'm gonna pray here in just a few moments. Parker's going to lead us in a a song. I have some pastors here down front. We would love to pray with you. If you wanna know what it means to be saved, you wanna talk to someone about baptism or church membership, would you come? Or even after the service is over, you can see one of us in the lobby or right here down front. And we'd love to just talk with you further. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for the precious truth of your word and the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Lord, may you produce it in us and may it be something that we learn in Jesus' name, amen.